comes from the Bible. Whether the writers of Webster's Dictionary realize it or not, the reason that we say darkness is evil is because the Bible says that darkness represents evil. And in the Bible, all over the Bible, darkness represents wickedness and separation from God. When we look at the scriptures, beginning even in Genesis chapter 1, before sin entered the world, we see the darkness there. In Genesis 1, darkness is synonymous not with sin, but with lack of structure and chaos and just the unformed substance. Darkness covered the face of the deep. That's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. And then we see these words in Genesis 1, 3 through 4. Listen to these words. They're very familiar, I'm sure. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So we see right here in the first few verses of the Bible the dichotomy that God himself creates. Light and darkness. And I want to point something out that I believe is important and it's often overlooked in this passage. And some of you will know this right off and some of you might have questions about it. But I really believe this is what we're seeing here. Notice that the text says, God said, light, and there was light. There's no sun that comes next. There's no moon, there's no stars. God said, let there be light, and there was light to shatter the darkness. Where did this light come from? Well, it came from God himself. The light that lights the darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is the very light of God himself. God shone in the darkness in Genesis 1, God shone in the darkness in John 1. God has been overcoming light and defeating light and shattering, I mean, defeating darkness and shattering darkness with light from the very beginning. This is the light that shines forth from God. God is shining his light on a chaotic world in Genesis chapter 1 and bringing about the creation of the world from darkness. From the very beginning of the world, God is shattering darkness. But darkness is still with us till this very day. Darkness is all around us. Darkness is inside of us. Humans have an innate fear of darkness, don't we? I've raised five children, and five children have been afraid of the dark at some point, if they're not still. If you're in your bed tonight, and it's dark, and you hear a sound in the night, you will be afraid of that, where you could hear that sound when the sun is shining, and you wouldn't think anything about it. Darkness brings this fear, this innate fear that surrounds us. We understand from the depth of our soul that evil lurks in the darkness. The darkness that is in this world is not merely the absence of light. That's not sufficient for our definition. Although that is a reality, the reality is darkness is not a passive thing in the Bible. Darkness is an aggressor. 
Darkness is on the march. Darkness is on the move to take over you and to take over your world. And I want us to see today that this darkness and, and see it for what it really is according to God's word. Darkness hates the light. I didn't say that. God's word says that. Darkness hates the light. Darkness is a kingdom that opposes the kingdom of light according to the Bible. Evil and the forces of darkness desire to destroy all, all of us. There are, no, there are so many examples of deep darkness and evil that manifest themselves in our world. There's, there's so many examples. This week, Pastor Corey sent me, this was on Monday, I believe, me and Adam. He sent us a, uh, the lyrics of a song that he found on Spotify that he simply just typed in the word in Spotify, darkness. And this is the song that came up. It's a song by a rapper named Eminem. And the title of the song is Darkness. And he released this album this year. The title of the album is Music to be Murdered by. That should already let us know what poison is filling the minds of our youth. Poison, darkness, murder, music, music to murder by. He writes this song, he titles it Darkness, and he wrote it about the worst mass shooting in the history of the United States in Las Vegas just a few years ago when Stephen Paddock opened up fire from a hotel room slaughtering innocent people at a country music venue in the lawn beneath him. Stephen locked himself in a high-rise hotel room and began to mow down people. He, there's evidence that he was treating it like some kind of military assault. We have to ask, what would motivate someone to do this truly dark and evil thing? What would motivate somebody to this? For, for Stephen Paddock, it seems like what motivated him was the darkness of mankind. He had experienced much evil in his life, and it led him to a very dark place. And one of his final text messages that he ever sent, he sent to his girlfriend. This is what he said to her. There are so many people who don't deserve to be alive. Too many people are so concerned with themselves. You can be there for everyone, but when you need someone, there's no one to be seen. I became a recluse for that reason. The best way to live life is with all, a wall between you and everyone else. So that when they let you down and they hurt you, it doesn't hurt so bad. Not long after that text was sent, he began to open fire on innocent people beneath him who didn't, in his, in his mind, deserve to live. Darkness, evil. This is what Eminem says in the song. It begins with the tagline, and I do not recommend you listen to this. I want to take in the side just to say this to you as parents. Don't be foolish like I was. I can remember the day we were riding down the road, and there was a cheesy Christian song on the radio. It was cheesy. 
and I made a very derogatory comment. And my foolish comment hurt my children. Because I downgraded Christian music in their minds. And so humans are drawn to music. And they're going to go find it somewhere. And if your child is listening, if you're a child here and you're listening to this poison and you think it's just entertainment, you're being foolish. It is taking over your mind. It is moving your heart. Darkness is not passive. Darkness is aggressive. And it seeks to kill you. And I would say, turn the cheesy music on. Sing really loud to Jesus. Better than that, turn on Maverick City or turn on Sovereign Grace or turn on Red Mountain Music or turn on something that glorifies the Lord. Don't be a fool like me. I was a fool. This is the way he starts his song with this tagline. This is Eminem singing, I don't want to be lonely in the darkness. I don't want to be lonely in the darkness anymore. And then he says this, here I am alone again. Can't get out of this hole I'm in. It's like the walls are closing in. You can't help me. No one can. I can feel the curtains closing. I go to open them, but something pulls them closed again. Hello, darkness. Feels like I'm loathing in Las Vegas. Haven't got the Vegas why I'm so lost. But I'd make you this small wager if I bet you I'll be in tomorrow's paper. Who would the odds favor? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I'm so much like my father, you would think I knew him. I keep pacing this room, Valium, then chase it with booze. One little taste, it'll do. Maybe I'll take and snooze, then tear up the sage in a few. Hello, darkness, my old friend. From there, the lyrics go off the rails. They're utter evil. I, I wouldn't dare go down that road in a pulpit, but I think you see what I'm talking about. And he weaves not just Stephen Paddock's life into this song, but he takes, Eminem takes his life and weaves it into this song. It's a masterful work. I wouldn't call it art. Eminem understands this. And the fact is that darkness is a friend until the day that it overtakes you and it kills you. It's real. It's not some thing that other people have dealt with, but it's something you're dealing with. This isn't a them versus us kind of conversation we need to have today. The reality is if you're a Christian, you're no, you don't need to be thinking about the darkness out there, but you need to be thinking about the remaining darkness in here. You need to be thinking about the pet things that you keep in your life that are darkness, that come from the darkness, and you massage them and stroke them and keep them nice and warm and safe in the recesses of your heart thinking they will never harm you. And what I want you to see by the end of the day is that that darkness that you're feeding and keeping and hiding, whether it's lust or whether it's anger or whether it's gossip or whether it's slander or whether it's laziness or whatever it is, 
It is a lion in your life. It's not harmless. And its desire is to devour you. And if you keep it there, and you hide it, and you feed it secretly, eventually it will have you. I'm standing here today telling you that there is great darkness in this world. There is evil like we can never imagine. And it doesn't always sit out there. Sometimes we recognize it's right here. But I also stand here to tell you that there is great hope. Hope because Jesus Christ has shattered the darkness. Jesus took on flesh. He conquered that sting and he now has shattered the darkness. I want to read a passage to you from 1 John chapter 1. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And I want to read it to you. And it's uh, seven verses. But I really want to focus in on the last three verses. This is what John, the beloved disciple, writes in 1 John. The epistle to his church. <laughs> that which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we looked upon and have touched with our hands Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. It's familiar, isn't it? This, this wording, it's a lot like the gospel that he wrote. It's a condensed version of the gospel that he wrote. When he opened up saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All the world was made by him. Nothing was made without him that has been made. He is the light, and the light shines in the darkness. Similar opening to his epistle. That which we have, listen to what he says, we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message. This is the gospel message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That God is light. Summary statement of theology. God is light. He's going to make a couple more statements like that in this book. He's going to say God is love in this book. He's going to say here, God is light. This is a way that he summarizes all of the message. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus Christ has shattered the darkness because he's God. Last week we said Jesus Christ conquered death and sin. Why? Because he's God. He shattered the darkness because he's God. If we look at this passage, there's so much to see. But I want us to focus in on John when he says God is light. What does he mean to say God is light? 
Don't misunderstand what John is doing in this passage. He's summarizing what it means, what he means for God, what it means to be God when he says that God is light. Light is not a characteristic of God. Like, it's not part of who God is. It's not simply an outward appearance. No, there is an outward appearance of the glory of the light of God made manifest so that all can see it. When John says that God is light, he's saying that God is pure, God is holy, God is perfect. God is light. The white hotness of the blazing center of who God is produces a light that cannot be seen by man and that man live. That's what the Bible says. The center of his being is so holy, so otherness, that it bursts forth in light. This is what the Bible says about that in Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In Psalm 36, 9, this is almost like our passage. Listen to what is mixed in this passage. Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you, talking about God, with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. You notice the parallel work of the Hebrew poetry. Life and light are equated in this. In John 1, they're also equated. Life and light are equated. In 1 John, life and light are equated. When we talk about God and we say that he is light, what we mean is that he is eternally pure, holy, and he burns with a white hotness that we cannot bear to even look on in our sinful flesh. Psalm 104, 1 through 2 says, You are clothed with splendor. It's like clothes and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. A beautiful passage. Ezekiel 1, 27 through 28 says, Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal and looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins downward I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Ezekiel, the beginning of his visions, he sees God I believe the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he sees him as a blazing fire. And he has the only response that we should ever have to seeing the greatness and the manifestation of God's glory. And what is that? He falls down in worship. These are just a few of the places where God's light is spoken of in the Old Testament. Remember that at the beginning of the sermon, I referenced Genesis 1, 3 through 4 in saying that light shattered the original darkness at creation. And that that light came from God. It was the very light of God. And we also see this amazing truth of the light of God in the story of the plagues found in Exodus. You might be scratching your head at this one, but this is a, a picture, I believe, of the truth that I'm trying to drive home today, that God is light, and to have fellowship with Him is to walk in the light and to have the light. A contrast to the dark world all around us. 
a difference. In the ninth plague that God brought on Egypt because they refused to let God's old covenant people Israel go, the ninth plague was utter darkness. Exodus 10, 21 through 23 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. What kind of darkness is that? Like, it's so dark that these people didn't move for three days. They stayed still. They were afraid to even move. The darkness was palpable. They felt the deep darkness that had invaded their country. I would say part of what they felt was the evil which their country had portrayed against God and his people. God lifted the veil enough for them to feel the very darkness of Pharaoh and the very darkness of their idolatrous worship. And he darkened the sun and he made it dark so they would feel the evil that they were taking part in. This is the ninth plague. Remember the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn and the releasing of the people. This is building in a crescendo from the blood of the river Nile to the darkness that overcame the country, the whole country. And the passage goes on and says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. They couldn't see one another. you ever been in that kind of darkness? I mean, I've been in it, something that I think is close to this, maybe once or twice in my life, in the deep darkness of a cave where there's nothing, and you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. What I've never felt fully is what I think these people felt, which is the weight of the evil of the darkness. It terrified them, and they sat frozen under the weight of this darkness for three days. But all, listen to this, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. God's people congregated, remember, in the pasture land of Egypt because Egyptians believed that shepherds were the lowest of the low and that was beneath them. They put the shepherds of Israel over to grow flocks for them. And God said, Moses, stretch your hand out to the heavens and I will put a darkness on these people so dark that they will feel it and they will be so frightened they will not move. But... My people shall dwell in the light. Egypt, the great enemy of God and his people, was cursed with utter darkness for three days. Israel, God's chosen covenant people, dwelled in light all of those three days. Can you imagine being God's people looking over at Egypt from the valley with maybe your flocks? And there's this wall of darkness. I don't want to go too far, but I mean, is that not strange? The light is turned on here, and the light is turned off over there. Like, literally, right there. It wasn't the sun that was playing tricks. The light that shone on the people of Israel was the light of God. God was saying, these are my people. 
You, Egypt, are not my people. These are my people. Why did it shine? Because God shined his light on his people. So we see places where God is said to be light, and we see a vivid example of God shining his light on his people. Throughout the Old Testament, God appeared as light to Israel in his Shekinah, or dwelling glory. So bright, he cloaked it with a cloud at Sinai in the wilderness because he told Moses, if anyone sees me, they will not live, Exodus thirty-three twenty. The Lord appeared as a pillar of light to lead his people his, his light filled the tabernacle. It filled the temple. And when people saw an appearance of the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, it was often a blinding light that identified him as who he was. God is light, and there is no darkness found in him. You can shut the lights out on the world, but you cannot shut the light of God out. Our God is light, people. If you're a Christian here today, you have hope. It doesn't matter how dark the world is. That's just a deeper contrast for how great our God is. His light shines. And if we walk in with Him, then we walk in the light. And we have fellowship with Him and with one another. And the blood of His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The New Testament doesn't stop this theme. It continues and it deepens it. It broadens it. It pierces it down into the person of Jesus. This is what John 1, 1 through 5 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. Remember Psalm 36, uh, 9? In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John 3, 19, this is what John says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. When you see sinners sinning, of God, when, you, when they sin around you and when they sin to you, against you, your response should not be anger at them for their darkness. Your response should be humbleness before God that he has taken you and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness which they currently live in and put you in the kingdom of his son which is light. The church's response to the world should not be, look at those terrible, dark sinners. It should be, oh, if it weren't for Jesus, I would be as dark as they are. And our job, our call should be to run into the darkness with the light. Jesus, listen, John said in 1 John, this is the message which was proclaimed to us and now we proclaim it to you. truth is is that every one of us humans acts like a cockroach until the day Christ saves us you ever had cockroaches in your house those little bitty ones I'm not talking about the big bugs that come from the house I'm talking about the little ones don't admit it because then everybody will think you're a nasty person 
But you can get roaches for a lot of different reasons. You can have water and dampness. You can have food. You can, but here's what happens when you get roaches in your house. Where did they go? To the darkness. Every human born in this world, a fallen human, is a cockroach in spirit. We love the darkness. And some of you have gotten up in the middle of the night and flipped the light on to get some water and wish you hadn't flipped the light on. I lived in an apartment for a while. We were so used to the roaches which came from the apartment building into our, invaded our home, we burned the boxes. We literally just burned the boxes. We took the stuff out, washed it, and burned them. Done. Roaches were so bad, they were coming out of our coffee pot in the morning. And we were so used to it, we just pull it out, our cockroach run out, and it's like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you this morning. Did you have a good snack last night? And they were in there because there was water, and it was dark, and it was damp. And, but when we would move it, they would run out. But when they came out into the light, they immediately did this. They either froze, like you can't see me, or they ran for the darkness. That's what John says. The light came into the world, and the world loved the darkness. The light exposed the darkness, and this darkness crept into the shadows further. God sending his son has two effects on the world. One is the softening of his people to salvation. The other is hardening of the world into the utter darkness of sin. The world didn't get better when Jesus came. The world got exposed when Jesus came. And in their exposure, they hate him all the more. And so why are you angry at them, Christian? Why are you angry? You should be compassionate and broken and humble before God. You should be in introspective of your own remaining sin and indwelling sin and pleading with God to stamp it out. You should be taking every action you can to turn the light on in every crook and cranny of your heart because the darkness that lives in you will kill you. And it will kill everyone around you. John 8, 12, Jesus says this. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46, I have, this is what he says. Jesus, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Look at the background to our passage in 1 John 1, 5, which can be found in the Gospel of John. John 8, 12 and John 12, 46 record the words of Jesus when he says he is the light. There can be no doubt to the fact that Jesus declared that he was God in the flesh. Anyone who tells you that Jesus didn't claim to be God doesn't know their Bible at all. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God is light and that that light is the life of men. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who is in me will not walk in darkness. He says, I am the light and those who have me have life. Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh. He calls himself the light of the world, the light of life, and says he came as light into the world so that everyone who believes in him will not remain in darkness. So 
When John writes the prologue to his gospel, that's why we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter these words. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Then, when John is opening this letter, which he wrote afterwards, surprising, it's not surprising when we read him referring to God as light. God is light. God is not a light. God is not a type of light. God is not partial light. God is light. He is the light. And so John is captivated by this theology of light, and we should be captivated with it also. Which is why each one of us should be finding the baby dragons, lions, whatever you want to call them, the sin in your life that's hiding out and hanging out in the dark places of your life. We should be on a hunt as a Christian with the power of the Holy Spirit to find it and slay it. Because we are not people of the darkness. We are people of the light. He is the only one. Jesus is the only one who can shatter the darkness and the evil that you're living in. Notice what John says in 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. First, we see that God is light. Now we are seeing that we cannot claim to have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. Everything I've said so far will get a hearty amen, I'm sure, and you are all excited about it. And what I'm about to say is going to hurt our feelings. And I don't apologize. Because far too many of us have become far too comfortable with looking at how bad they are out there while we ignore the very darkness that is creeping and seeping into our hearts and our homes and destroying us. Maybe it's about to be a meddling time. I don't know. That's what they used to say about my granddaddy. He was a meddler. But I believe it's good meddling because I fear that far too many of us harbor darkness while saying we have fellowship with God. I referenced Eminem's song in the intro and his telling of the Stephen Paddock story. And I want to say that that's an easy picture of darkness. I know no, nobody. I mean, if Eminem was standing right here beside me, he would say, yeah, it's evil and it's dark. And it's just who I am. It's who Stephen Paddock was. It's who this world is. There would be no denial. We can all agree that what is described in the song, that what was done in Las Vegas was darkness personified. It was evil. But let me ask you this. What separates you and me from Eminem and Stephen Paddock? In our natural state, it's a matter of degree. Those two are living in evil and celebrating evil in a sick and demonic way. But many in this building, are harboring darkness in our, in our lives. We're harboring it. We're giving it safety. We're covering it up. 
many of us are making a habit out of a lifestyle of holding on to lust and lying and anger and slander and rebellion and gossip. And when we do that, we choose to fellowship with darkness and not light. We're choosing to walk in darkness. And if that is the pattern of our life, then John tells us that we are lying and we do not practice the truth. I know it's hard. It's hard on me. But I'd rather be hard on you now and hard on me now than I have for us to stand in front of the light in that day and be judged as part of darkness. The light will judge the world in, in many ways that has, he has judged the world and he will judge the world. And he says if you are of the darkness, you have no fellowship with him. If that happens, if he casts that judgment on us then the result of that judgment that we love darkness more than light we love the things of this world and the evil that it possesses more than him the Bible tells us what happens all of those who are judged to be following the darkness will be cast into utter darkness Egypt sat under that darkness for three days. And when God passes his judgment at the end of time, he will put them under the darkness forever. There will be no relief. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's what we need to know today. God is light. And because Jesus is God, then he is light. And the light has come into the world. And the darkness of the world has not overcome the light of Jesus. So let's run to the light. And find rescue from our darkness. He has shattered the darkness and caused us to live in light, Christian. And so we should run from the darkness. There's a practical part of this. Notice how John goes from this high theological statement, God is light, and in the very next verse he says, if we have fellowship with him, we walk. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. It's a very practical resolution to this high theological statement. God is light. So what's the result? We as his people should walk in the light as he is in the light. Therefore, we should run from the darkness in our life. We should destroy the darkness of our life. We should get in community, real community, instead of hiding out in our sin, we should come into the fellowship and say, I need Christ in this area of my life. Instead of doing the thing which you keep doing, turn to Jesus. And when turning to Jesus, turn to a brother or a sister who you know is walking in the light and say, I need your help. 
Our pride will send us to hell. Most people that go to hell go because of their pride. They refuse to bow the knee to God or to admit that they aren't as good as everybody else they see around them. And the problem with that is, is that if you're sitting in the light and you're full of, I mean, if you're sitting in the darkness and you're full of darkness, you have nothing to judge it by. I'm better than Hitler was. Great standard. I'm not Stephen Paddock. Good for you. But the anger that exists in your life towards your wife or your husband or your child or your friend or your boss is just as deadly as he opening a clip on the people at that concert. The difference is he lived his out fully and you're still trying to hold on to yours and you think you're safe. That dragon will slay you or by the Spirit you will slay it. That's the fact. So what are you going to do about it, Christian? You're going to keep slinking back into your dark corners when you feel sorry for yourself and things are not your way? You're going to continue to pet your pet sin and feed it? You're going to fill your mind with the garbage of this world or are you going to get on your knees before Christ and call on Him to eradicate the darkness and then go grab somebody by the hand and say, Help me. Help me. Martin Luther used to face the demons who would tell him how worthless he was and how sinful he was, and he would face them with the truth of the gospel, which is, I'm worse than you could ever imagine. He didn't say, oh, I'm a good person. You just don't know me well enough. Let me tell you all my good deeds. He said, you don't know, you're not God, so you don't know how bad I really am. But as bad as I am, I know a great Savior. And his mercy is greater than all of my sin. We need to do war, Christians, on the darkness in our life. And in the darkness of our children's lives. We need to get on our face before God and beg him to save our children. We need to fast for our children. We need to call on other people to fast for our children. That God would save them. Eminem is one of a million who wants to fill your child's mind with all of the darkness of this world and destroy their life. You say, that's harsh. It's true. He's creating a culture of death. And he's celebrating it, and he's getting Emmys for it, and he's making millions, and he's riding in nice cars, and all the while people are killing themselves and killing others to his music to be murdered by. The problem with us, church, is we've gone to sleep at the wheel and we think we're in a JV basketball game and we're playing against something much greater than LeBron James ever dreamed of being. The enemies of this world hate us and they hate our God. And this time we banded together as a community of light like Israel did in the valleys while they shepherded their sheep and say, we belong to God, we don't belong to that. If you don't believe me, believe God. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Philippians 2, 15, 16 says, So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, Paul says, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of the darkness. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may, what? Proclaim His excellencies who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Grace fellowship, because our Savior has taken on flesh, conquered death, sing, shattered the darkness, we can now proclaim the excellencies of his majestic light to the dark world. We can be what he says we should be in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Grace Fellowship, this is what we've been called to. We are an army of the Son of Light, and we are filled with His light, and we are to proclaim it to the ends of the world, to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, when it's all said and done, this will be our existence. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and gates. Uh, and, and at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The city which comes down to us for eternity shines with the glory of God's glorious light, and it has twelve gates. Because those people of the old covenant dwelled with God in light. And it has 12 foundations. Because the apostles were the foundation stones of the church, which is filled with the Spirit, God's holy light. We're going to inherit a city. We're going to inherit a kingdom of light. That is our future church. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold. To measure the city, its gates and its walls, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And the measure, he measured the city and, uh, with his rod, 12,000 stradia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. You might ask, why jasper and pure gold and glass? Because that city is designed to do nothing but reflect the glory of God, Shekinah, for all of eternity. Oh, Carlton, you're saying too much. No. 
He says more. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprass, and if I said that wrong, don't laugh, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, filled with jewels, filled with pure gold, filled with glass to reflect the glory of the Shekinah. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl in the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. He pitched his tent and dwelt with us in church. We're going to dwell in him forever. That's what this passage says. This is our future. And the city has no need Of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By it, by its light, all the nations will walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their little glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be listen to me when you're about to sin you need to know this the light of that place is the lamb who is its lamp and the nations will come in and the little kings of this earth will bow down before him and bring their glory and lay it down at his feet and the gate will never close And the darkness, this is what it says, the darkness shall be, what? No more. Don't sell out to the darkness, Christian. Don't sell out to the sin and the evil of this world. For its pleasure is but for a moment. And in the end it bears the fruit of death. And if you live in it and walk in it, you have no fellowship with God. And you will be cast into utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're sitting here saying, trying to figure out, like, if I got enough light or maybe I ain't got it. Stop trying to find salvation within yourself and look to the sun that shines forever. Christian, destroy the evil in your life or it will destroy you. And you'll be in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will not be his because you can have no fellowship with him if you walk, live your life by the darkness. But Christian, take heart. If you walk by the light and live in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of his son purifies you, cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Can I not get an amen to that? Are you tired of getting whipped by sin in this world? Then gird yourself up and face it like a man of God or a woman of God.
And when the darkness seeks to overcome you, you tell it, I have a light that you cannot overcome. Stop giving ground is what I'm saying in your home, Christian. Stop saying, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way of the world, you know, there's nothing I can do. Meanwhile, Eminem and all his hordes are taking your children to hell and laughing at you while your money buys it. We need to get serious. And we need to face the darkness and say, I have a light in me that you cannot overcome. And I'm headed to a place where you will not exist. And so I will not bow my knee to you. And I will not sin in this moment. Because if the light of the world comes back again, he will not find me unfaithful. Far too long, Grace Fellowship, we've acted as if we're hopeless and helpless. When we have the hope of the world as our Savior. He is the lamp of this life and the next. And we need to start living like it. And so I'm calling you to repentance. I'm not asking you to think about it. I'm not saying, you know, if you feel like it's something you need to do. No, you need to. Who needs to repent? Everybody. There ain't one exception. You say, well, I don't need to repent. I repented when I got saved. You need it more than anybody. We need to be gone with that dead, unbiblical theology where we repent once and it's all over with. That's foolish talk. The life of the Christian is daily, moment by moment, repentance. Turning from the darkness to the light. And some of you need to do it practically, right now. Like, you need to not go talk about football or what you're going to have for dinner. You need to go find your husband and wife. You need to go find your children. You need to go find your friend. You need to go to them and confess your sins, that he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of that unrighteousness. And some of you need to quit calling yourself a member of the tribe of light when you're a member of the tribe of darkness because you've been walking that way your whole life. I'm calling everybody, myself included, to repentance. Not just in a moment, but forever. Until we reach that city where the darkness will be no more, let us turn our back on the darkness every moment of every day. And when we see one of our brothers slip in the darkness, let us not make excuses and say, well, it's really not that big a deal. Let's run to that brother and pick him up. How bad it is to be alone in this world and fall down and have nobody to pick you up. Pick up your brother. Dust him off. My daddy used to say, I'll dust the front of your pants and the back. Some of us need it. We need a back. We need our back dusted. We've been living in sin, wallowing in the pigsty. And we need good Christians to come alongside us and say, what are you doing? Living in the darkness. Get in the light. Some of us need to quit caring so much about how bad it feels. And we need to start understanding how serious it really is. And live not for our feelings, but for the objective truth that Jesus is light and he has fellowship with those who walk in the light. We need to start living lives of deprivation. And we need to start cutting it off, all of it, and give it no foothold. Or it will become a stronghold and it will defeat you. I'm calling you to repentance. I'm not asking you. I'm, I'm begging you. As a repenter. I'm calling you to repent with me.
because the light of the world lives with us. We are empowered by him to be the light in the darkness of this world so that our Father in heaven is glorified. Let's pray together. Father, it's an impossible task to walk away from the darkness that is in us. We can't do it by our own strength. And so we ask you, Father, to do what only you can do by the power of your spirit. And that is hold up your son like the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. So that all of us can look on him and live. Father, help us to see him as the lamp that lights the entirety of the world. Not just this world, but the world to come. Help us to know that the darkness we live in today can become the utter darkness of tomorrow where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But it doesn't have to because we can run to you, Jesus, and have fellowship with you by your blood as we're cleansed Moment by moment, walking in the light as you were in the light. We pray these things by your great name and ask that you do the work for us and in us and through us. To the glory of God the Father. Amen.